Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. people to go to find love. You had to go to university to find Little Red. Y'all, or he found you. People will cross the waters or the oceans to find uh, a heart of compassion maybe for mission or missions. It seems like in a polarized society we're all a little heartless nowadays. And you're, you're looking for that missing element in your life, this heart. What are you, what do you have empathy or compassion or, or love for? And it feels like it's like somebody put a, a hole in the love boat and the love drips out so fast that you can't locate your heart. And, and, you know, it, it takes me back to the Wizard of Oz. Yes, I said the Wizard of Oz in church. So I don't believe in wizards or Oz, but I remember the TV show. Okay? And, and the one thing the Tin Man was searching for was a... And the one thing the Scarecrow was searching for was a... And the one thing the Lion was searching for was a... What are you in search of? What do you have a heart for? When I look at the Bible text today, I feels like it, it, it dead ends us into some conclusions about the heart. And, and let's look at uh, Nehemiah 1. And I want to start at the second verse. And, oh, man, the first verse. Okay, the word of the Lord, uh, the word of Nehemiah, the son of uh, Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Shebev, in the 12th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanai, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Okay, here's what's going on. This is, this is one of the last writings we have, a thousand years after Moses. But 400 years before Christ, Israel has sinned yet again, has already gone into Babylonian captivity. And some of the people who have been captive for 70 years or so are starting to make their way back. While, while as Nehemiah, um, he's with the ba Babylonian king Xerxes, or Artaxerxes, or whichever one you want to say, uh, I believe the second. And he is um, actually in a comfortable place for somebody who happens to be captive. He's in the capital city. He's in the citadel. So he's in the palace. And I'm telling you that captivity, we learn something about it, can sensitize you to be okay with it. And Nehemiah did not seem to be distressed about his position, but he seemed to be concerned about people who are about 800 miles away from him. He seemed, 
his concern led me to believe that he must have some type of emotion or empathy for the sinning. And he's doing something that, that, that's really sensitive. He's asking questions about people who may be in a worse condition than him. How do we know this? He describes them as people who have escaped. Now, if you've escaped something, that means that at some point you were in peril. At some point, you were in trouble. At some point, something wasn't going right, and you had to do something mentally or physically to get away. And when you have escaped from a harm, there's a level of anxiety that you continue to live in, but there's a level of exhilaration that you are free. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to interact with someone who's escaped or who has been known as a survivor. These people are a little jumpy at times. If you've ever had somebody, you know, do something abusive to you. Now, for those of you who don't know my story, I can't go into my story, but I know what it's like to have to live under an assumed name and, 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 and run and be on the run and, and, and hiding from someone or escape from abuse. You, 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 you are almost paranoid. You begin to peep around corners, and everybody that comes into your life is a suspect. Everybody. I don't know if you've ever had to interact with people who no longer trust because their trust has been violated. It seems that God is going to use people to give Nehemiah a heart because he's asking questions. Seems like this is all about heart and all about people to get that heart. Survivors. Survivors don't care how they look. What's that movie Tom Hanks was in? Castaways. He didn't care about his clothes. Survivors developed survival skills. He took a coconut, and, I mean a, a, a ball, and named it Wilson. When you survive, when surviving, you will exchange the natural use of things for other things that have another use so that you can just make it. You'll make up imaginary friends. People who have been polarized, people who've been shaken, people who are weak or vulnerable, when you interact with them, don't forget that they're escapees and they're survivors. There are certain people you need to ask if you can touch them because the simple touch on the shoulder or a hand or, 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 or knee that means nothing and it's benign can cause them to cringe. But to know it, you have to be like Nehemiah to ask it. How y'all doing? What's going on in your life? Are you listening online? What's, you need to, even though you might be alone, you want somebody to ask you and you want to ask somebody how they're doing. This is about people. This is what this message has got to be, a heart for people. And he says, verse 3, and he says to me, the remnant there in the providence who had survived the exile, they're in great trouble and they're in shame. Now, it's one thing to have escaped. It's one thing to be known as a survivor. It is quite another thing to still have your life in peril after you've been a lifetime in peril. One would be thinking about your past circumstances and having empathy for your past. But when you run into some people who have a past circumstance and a present trouble, woo! 
they're not only having trouble, but they're having shame. They don't have enough resources to eat. They don't have enough resources to clothe themselves. They can't build their homes. Everything is in shambles. They feel insecure. They feel like everything is going wrong. Dude, does that sound familiar, the world we live in right now, the insecurity of your job, the insecurity of what's next? Everybody's mortgage is up for grabs. Everything is up for grabs. I escaped a lot of stuff in the past, but I got a present situation. Nehemiah is getting this information because he's getting a heart. He has a heart for people. You can see it because he asks questions. He's not delivering statements. He's asking questions. Do you approach people with judgment? Or do you approach them with sensitivity to discover where are they located right now? How are they doing? Or do you assume if they're this ethnicity, they're fine? If they're that ethnicity, what do you assume instead of ask? Nehemiah is showing us to have the right heart is to have a heart for people. And you have to talk to them. He said, not only did they have a bad, uh, the people going through something, but look what he says. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The city is jacked up. It's not just, and in the, in the gates have been destroyed with fire. Don't you get it? My past, I was escapee. I'm a survivor. My present is full with trouble and shame. And guess what? When I'm looking for resources for the city, they got it all messed up. We can't get the two sides to agree on what the stimulus package is going to be. I can't get help. This is you asking me what's going on? The world looks crazy to me. And what I was going to have confidence in, what I returned to, the life I'm trying to return to, the life I'm trying to rebuild, it's all burned up. Is anybody trying to get your life back since the pandemic? Feels like life is, that you knew was drying up, dried up. And every time you try to rebuild back what you had, it's a hopeless situation. Can I get an amen from anybody online? Can y'all amen me? I know I can't hear you, but I can hear you in the spirit. It seems like God is helping Nehemiah develop a heart for people through, through his inquiry. And the fourth verse says it this way. As soon as he heard these words, as soon as he listened to people's hurt and pain, his heart response was, I sat down. He got weak in the knees because of hearing about somebody's pain, even though he was in the palace, he got weak. Hearing of somebody's pain of insecurity, though he was secure, he got weak. Seeing that there were people having no position and he had a position, he said, I got to sit down. And he didn't just sit down, he began to emote at the highest level. He began to weep with them and mourn with them. It's nothing worse than being in pain and having an inability to find somebody who will share the pain with you. Maybe you didn't know Mother Carter. Maybe you didn't know what she meant to some people. But sometimes when you can just put yourself in the position of somebody who had loss, you begin to say, oh, if I had what you're describing, I would be messed up. Oh, let me make it more real, church. Can I be real in here today? Are y'all scared? 
It's just like Breonna Taylor. It's like, it's not a political issue. It's just like I asked myself a question. It wasn't white or black oriented. It wasn't left or right oriented. I just asked myself, how would I feel if my wife was killed? Would any amount of money be able to replace? Heck no. Nothing can replace the love of my life. Man, when I start thinking about it like that, the empathy I didn't have, because I didn't have the same amount of empathy, it was somebody's story that was tragic. It was just a tragic story. But when I actually sat down with my wife and I said, man, I thought, I thought about, I was watching the news and I thought about, and I thought, if that was you, oh, I'm, I'm not only inconsolable, I'm mad. I'm going to demand stuff. When you empathize. But before I didn't empathize, it was like it was just tragic. But I don't want to, it was nothing for me to do. But man, when I think about it, it's my child or something. See, Nehemiah had the ability to put himself in the vulnerable place to have his heart sensitized for people. He thought, I got to, ah, ooh, just messing me up. It's messing me up. And then you know what he did next? And he continued fasting and praying before God in heaven. Now, we got to stop there because it looked like this message was about Nehemiah developing a heart for people. But it almost says when he had to continue in fasting and prayer, it's like God is reestablishing his personal prayer life in a different way. So I thought maybe the message was about a heart for people, but I'm starting to think maybe it's a heart for prayer. Because how can you love like him if you don't know him? How can you serve others like him or do anything? He, he's realizing he is powerless, so he's going to the powerful place of prayer. And here's what he says. In the, in the fifth verse that he did, he began to pray, and he prayed night and day. He said, I say, oh, Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God. See, you, you, you got to acknowledge that, that you got some frailties. Anybody willing to acknowledge their frailties? You see, when we interact with human need, and the only resource we have is to think about who we are in order to meet that need, we're at a deficit. Their walls are broken down. Everything is messed up in the city. Even though I've got compassion, I am physically incapable of doing anything but crying with you. So that's why this story has to be about prayer because he's starting to get active. Say, I thought it was about listening and talking, but this is about actively praying. And he said, Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God. That's what you start to do. When your enemies and your circumstances are so great that they start talking to you about how weak you are, you got to start talking about how great he is. Oh, God, you know you good. You go, you awesome. You mighty. Mighty, mighty, mighty are the works of your hand. Oh, yeah, you, you are great. You, you all of that. You all of that. Let me start out by saying, no matter what we're going to talk about, you all that. He said, you're God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. Let me tell you, we got some problems going on, but I want you to understand, I am not pointing the finger at you. I know God is somehow the person that is easiest to get upset with. 
he's the easiest person to blame. Because all the pain you have, he had to get permission for it. He said, I'm going to settle the issue. You're a great lover. You're an awesome God. You're impeccable in character and you're unimpeachable. I want to start out by telling you I'm humbling myself because that's what prayer is. Prayer is saying to God, I don't got it, but you got it. I don't understand it, but you understand. I can't solve the problems, but you can. I'm weak at the knees, but you're strong, and I'm strong. I can be strong in the Lord. And then verse 6 says, I'm going to take you deeper. He goes on, when you put God in his exalted place and you put yourself in your place, you can speak to God like verse 6 does. He said, let your ear be attentive because my posture is one of humility and humiliation. Let your eyes look on me and hear the prayers of your servant I now pray before you night and day for the people and the servants of Israel. He is not trying to give God a quick fix prayer. He's not trying to give God a, a, a limited access prayer. He's saying, God, I'm going to follow the Jewish tradition. I'm going to show up and consistently get in your face. I'm going to get there morning and I'm going to get there night. I'm going to get to the woman's prayer meeting and the man's prayer meeting, the Unite prayer meeting. The prayer meeting is coming up the day after the election. I'm going to be at every prayer meeting at every time. I'm going to continually pray and let the word be in my mouth. I can't trust anything but prayer. I thought you were trying to give me a heart for the people, but you're really trying to give me a heart for prayer because I have no solutions, but you have all solutions. If I was just stuck at people, I would have no power, but I'm stuck in a place of prayer, and you have all power, and I'm going to cry out to you night and day. He could be reminded of the widow who went to the, uh, the unjust judge night and day in Luke 18, trying to get the answer or avenge of the pain that she went through as a widow. And though the man did not fear God or man, he granted her request. He said, how much would I not grant the request of those who cry out to me night and day? You've got to know how to posture yourself with God in order to get your petition fulfilled. I'm not talking about a little now, lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to sleep. I'm not talking about a little Jesus wept. I'm not talking about a little God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our food. It's a little bit all right to do it, but it's a little bit deeper than that. This is a consistent, constant interaction and relationship with God that happens morning and night. And he says, I'm going to pray, but listen, listen to something. With this, this next part is deep. Now, you're probably not ready for this next part because I wasn't when I studied it. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel. Now, that part seems easy to talk about what other people did. You know, Lord, you know the government, the government, not government, the government has been wrong. Look at them, they're messing everything up. The church has been wrong, it's been complicit. They're messing everything up. See, it's so easy. When it's time to point the finger, oh, we got that ministry down pat. Lord, oh, you need somebody to tell you who did it? He did it. He, her, all of them did it, Lord. I'm the only one. Because you know I wouldn't do nothing. That's why me and you can talk. I'm as close to you as you got. Now, I know I got some things, but you know they're the little stuff. They're not the big stuff that the other people messing the world up. Confessing 
He comes and he corporately takes responsibility. He's not distancing himself from what others did. He's, he's saying, here's what we did. Here, 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 here's how we messed up. You know, we so often want to distance ourselves from the people who are falling short. We don't want to lump ourselves in that because it would take some humility on our part. Confessing sins of the people which we have sinned, we have sinned against you. Not they have sinned, we have sinned. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Oh, how many times have, 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 have I had to go before the Lord for my own sins and trespasses and iniquities? Yes, my own. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. If we say we have no sin, not sin, the Bible says we make him to be a liar and the truth is not in us. Guess what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So to have a prayer life that doesn't deal with your sin life is incorrect type of prayer. Not only do we have transgressions, I got iniquities. What's iniquity? It's a disposition and opposition to the will of word of God. Sometimes I don't like how God thinks, how he acts, how he moves. And I think that I can reprove him instead of letting him reprove me. And that is error and it is sin. But I love that Nehemiah is helping us understand how to get the right heart. Yes, you can have a right heart for people, but this heart is great. It needs to be a heart for prayer. We have acted very corruptly. This is not slightly corrupt. This is very corrupt. We have acted, verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that, the, that, that Moses has commanded your servant. God, this plague on us, these people who have taken over our country, these people who have ravished us and caused us fear have not done it because we had nothing to do with it. We were the innocent. They've done it because we've been guilty of rejecting your commandments. American citizens and those who are here on Green Card, you know, those who watch, but let me help you understand something. The things that are going on that are negative are not independent of our sin life. Not everything is a natural disaster. There are certain things that come on the earth because the people of God have sinned and done wrong and not done right. You cannot give yourself a pass and point the finger at everybody else. Judgment always starts at the house of the Lord, and I'm wondering, will we actually let God examine us? This is why you, to get the right heart, you've got to start praying and ask God like David did, search me, O Lord. And know my anxious thoughts, know my sinful ways. I need you to look at me because I don't always think right when I'm in private. I don't always act right. I don't always talk right. I got behavior patterns that are so wrong, I wouldn't want anybody to see them on the screen. But I tell you what, I need to deal with my sin. I need to deal with our sin. And I need to tell you it's not your fault, but I am appealing to your mercy. Yeah, glory to God. And right about the moment I'm studying this and thinking it can't be about just his heart for people being developed or and now I know it's a heart for prayer, I hear something else in verse 8 that says, I might have missed it again. He said, remember the word that you were commanded by your servant Moses. Remember the conditional promise about blessings and cursings. 
remember what I said if you departed. You, you know what? Because you, you're not going to. He said, I, I say, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. He said, now, you know what? I, 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 if the pandemic of their day and the captivity of their day came as a result of them rejecting the commandments and the statutes, then the remedy must be there as well. Verse 9 shows you the remedy. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, if you return, if you repent, if you do a 180, if you confess your sins, if you say, you know what, I was wrong, if you say against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, and if you return to doing what is right and what is righteous, if you move away from being a cussing saint, a lustful saint, a vengeful saint, an angry saint, a hateful saint, all of these things are in the church. All of these sins and iniquities are in us. But if you want to turn your back on sin, let me tell you, there's some provision and there's some promises that can lift you up out of every pandemic circumstance that has come your way. It can bring you out of the pit and out of the mire. It can bring you from trouble and it can bring you from pain because you have a heart for the promise. You reminded me of the promise and not of the pain. Now he said, I will pick you up. And he said, from there I will gather them and bring them back to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell with them. In other words, God said, if you were unestablished for your sin, you'll be reestablished for your repentance and your turning back. Oh, stop thinking, church, that the world has won, the devil has won, your flesh has won. Stop thinking that there was never a way out of the ter terrible circumstances we're in. They didn't know in Israel that the trouble wouldn't last always. They thought it would last always, but he's telling them to remember the promises of God, remember the word of God. It was a conditional covenant. If you departed from the commandments, I would get you, but if you came back, I would bless you. And don't you know Bethel World Outreach Church, he's trying to bless you. Don't you know Nashville, he's trying to bless you in this city. Don't you know nation, our nation, America, he's trying to bless our nation. This is not the time of your demise. This is not the time of your break down. This is time of your return. When you confess and forsake your sins, God will raise you up. He'll bring you up. He'll reestablish you. He'll anoint you, appoint you. He'll heal you. He'll give you a breakthrough because his promises are always available to you. This is about God's promises. When I saw that, it's about his promises. But then, can I have a little water? I didn't talk myself parched. Thank you. It's about his promises. So it wasn't just a heart for the people, a heart for prayer, a heart for the promise. Because in that promise, y'all felt that power in that promise? He said, if you hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, to observe and to do all that is written, these blessings will come upon you. If you hearken not, these curses will come upon you. How about if we was a church that hearkened? And all the while, I was thinking, this part going to mess you up. Because I know you're tired of me telling you, it's not this, it's not this. But let me show you that that, I think it really is. Verse 11 tripped me up. Verse 11 told, told me, I still got more to learn. 
Here's what verse 11 says. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. He said, let's get out of the general and let's get specific and let's lean in on me. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And let me not depart from the group, though I'm being singular within the group. We, we, I got corporate and I got all this, but, but I figured out the rest of that stuff. But you up to something deeper than prayer. He said, and give to your servant today. So everybody say today. He's not saying next week. He's not saying in a year or two or a month or two. He said, give to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Now that messed me up. And the reason it messed me up is because I forgot that the beginning of this message was him being in the palace and in a position in the palace. But now I know it's the cupbearer. He is somebody by the king. He is somebody positioned to make a difference. I thought that God was trying to single out his heart or single out prayer or single out his power, but God was trying to single out a man because the God would do nothing in the earth except he first revealed it to his prophets. Whenever God needs a man, he searches for a man to stand in the gap. Uh, if you forgot who you were, you were just like Nehemiah. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're, you're a worker for Christ. You have an assignment. And I know that you've been thinking that you can't do anything against the things that's going on in this world. But just like Nehemiah had to realize while he was in prayer, I've been perfectly positioned next to power to see it change. And God, if you would grant me an entrance into this man's heart, I'll change it for my people. I'll change it for the nation. I'll change it for me. But will I do what's right? Perhaps, beloved, that you are this generation Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You are this generation's Daniel. You are this generation's Esther. You are this generation's Peter and Paul. You are the ambassadors that God has sent out. You are uniquely positioned, not tomorrow, but today, in the right place, at the right time, to speak to the positions of power of what can happen when they act on what God is doing. Stop thinking that you are powerless. Stop thinking that you're limited to just developing a sensitive heart and developing a prayer life and developing a knowledge of the promises of God. You are on this planet to act. You are on this planet to do the work of God, to do the will of God. Stand to your feet. See, when you're under the word of God, you move from hopeless to hopeful. I got a number of things to say to you. It brings me back to the tin man. The tin man was looking for a, the scarecrow was looking for, the lion was looking for, but they had it all along. Nehemiah was looking for a lot of things. Looked like a heart for the people was developing. A heart for prayer, a heart for prayer. But all along, he had to get confidence for the specific assignment that he was unique to do. It was already in him. He was already positioned. He was already in the right place. Stop thinking that you can't affect change in this world. That is a lie from the pit of hell. If Christ's spirit dwells in you, 
you are an atomic bomb in every situation you go into. Where there is no peace, you bring peace. Where there is no love, you bring love. You are the difference maker in every relationship and every circumstance you go in. And when you speak. And when you speak to authority. You don't speak in anger. And you don't speak in frustration. You don't speak with whimpering and complaining. You're going to speak to the king the word of the Lord and the will of God and something's going to change for the broken. Something's going to change for the hurting. Something's going to change for the needy. You are the change right now. You're the hope right now. You're an ambassador right now. You're, you have delivering power right now. Hallelujah. It starts with repentance. I wish I could beg you to get outside of yourself and return to him. Get outside of thinking you've got it all right and get humble like Nehemiah who wasn't willing to give God his position of prophet and his position next to the king. He gave his humility and humiliation. If you need to repent today, no one's going to come and pray with you unless you needed that. But you need to be able to come and just kneel before the Lord. Kneel and say, Lord, I'm returning. Because in returning, it means I'm accepting my position changed. Lord, I pray for the people. Come. If you're, if you're coming, I see some of you walking. You can walk. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that the grace of Almighty God would so hit this place, God, that we're transformed not for a moment but forever. Give us sensitive hearts to your will. God, as we seek you, we pray that we would get to know you better. I thank you for each person online and each person here whose position will never, ever, ever, ever be the same. I pray that the yoke-destroying, burden-removing power of God will remove every sin yoke from upon them in the name of Jesus. They won't be marked by trouble, but they'll be marked by peace. In fact, the Prince of Peace heal you now. The Prince of Peace woo you now. Some of you need to give your life to Jesus and just say, Lord Jesus, I confess. Some of you need to surrender your will to him, your life to him. Some of you just need to give in. You've been running too long. Return to the Lord in the mighty name of Jesus.